of Islam Radio. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajeem Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim In the name of Allah, the most gracious ever merciful Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all If you've just tuned in We are currently going through the breakfast show for the uh, for Monday uh, You are joined by Mubashar um, Zafri here in the Voice of Islam Studios located in London. Uh, it is 7.03 a.m. and it's 14th of August 2023. Uh, we will be going through a few different topics today in today's program. Uh, the first um, one that we'll be going through is um, air pollution particles uh, may be causing dramatic drop in global insect numbers and the second um, one that we will be second subject that we'll be speaking about uh, is um, is um, key improvements to Parkinson's disease cell therapies so two very important subjects that we'll be discussing um, we will start shortly before that uh, I will uh, speak about the news uh, what's been happening uh, across the world uh, and we'll go through some of the front pages for today so this morning uh, the daily telegraph speaks of uh, children ignored by covid inquiry leading charities take uh, issue with delays in examining pandemics impact on the young then we've got the migrant crisis will last at least five years, says Home Office memo. And we have a story on foreign students first in line for clearing. Then Daily Express uh, speaks about businesses are seeing the benefits of Brexit. According to the Daily Express, which reports that 25% of UK manufacturers say they have re- repatriated production of their goods since the nation left the EU. Daily Mirror leads on the news that a baby escaped without injury after a car veered off the road and into holiday campsite in Wales. Nine other people were hurt in the smash. Um, then we have the Times. The Times reports that gunfire was exchanged in clashes between migrants waiting to attempt to get into Britain in Dunkirk, hours before a small boat sank in the channel resulting in six deaths. 
The Daily Mail speaks uh, of the news that a rising number of patients in Wales are crossing the border into England to seek treatment on the NHS to avoid long waiting lists in the lead story in the Daily Mail. The Sun reports that should England captain Harry Kane's fourth child be born in Munich, following strikers move to Tottenham Spurs, the as yet unborn infant would be able to play for Germany. <clears throat> The Guardian reports that peoples from poorer backgrounds are likely to be hardest hit by grade deflation when GCSE and A-level results come in, according to experts who claim the decision to impose pre-pandemic grading on students this year was premature. Um, Financial Times leads on the news that Russian firms are earning far more from selling crude oil than originally believed due to the inflated costs of shipping, which may have boosted revenue by as much as one billion in a single quarter. Uh, and that's pretty much it for the front uh, pages of the newspapers here in the UK. Um, as I mentioned, we will be having a discussion on a few different topics, uh, one being pollution and the other being Parkinson's disease. Um, and I will get back to you after a very short break. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Life of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Keeping good company. Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, always preferred to keep company with the virtuous. And if he observed any weakness in any of his companions, he admonished him gently and in private. Abu Musa Ashari, peace be upon him, relates The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, illustrated the benefit to be derived from good friends and virtuous companions. Abu Musa Ashari, peace be upon him, relates, The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, illustrated the benefit to be derived from good friends and virtuous companions, and the injury to be apprehended from evil friends and vicious companions, by saying, A man who keeps company with virtuous people is like a person who carries about musk with him. If he partakes of it, he derives benefit from it. If he sells it, he makes a profit out of it. And if he merely keeps it, he enjoys its perfume. A man who keeps company with evil persons is like one who blows into a charcoal furnace. All that he can expect is that a spark may alight upon his clothes and set them on fire, or that the gas emitted by the charcoal may upset his brain. 
He used to say that a man's character takes on the colour of the company he keeps, and that therefore one should be careful to spend one's time in the company of the good. Bukhari and Muslim. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. If you've just joined the Voice of Islam uh, Radio, uh, it's Mubashir Zafri speaking to you guys, and it's 7 11 a.m. in the morning of 14th of August 2023 uh, this is the breakfast show uh, of the Voice of Islam and here we speak on different topics we discuss different matters we call and ask uh, experts of different fields to give information and insight to certain aspects and even today as I've mentioned we will be discussing to very important but particular subjects first being air pollution uh, and how that is having an impact on insects and then secondly we will be speaking about the Parkinson's disease uh, but before we get into that um, I think it's important to say that you know we uh, it's been a um, about two weeks ago we uh, held the animal convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community here in the UK uh, and this was quite a historic uh, moment if you haven't heard about it before it's something you must uh, uh, search about uh, because this is the largest gathering of Muslims here in the UK uh, the turnout was uh, 41,000 people uh, despite the bad weather uh, and this convention uh, was held in Alton, uh, in Greenland Farms, uh, Oakland Farms, sorry. Um, uh, and um, it was a convention that was held for three days. And His Holiness, the worldwide head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed, um, he uh, was present at this convention for all three days. Um, and he delivered four addresses as well as the uh, sermon for the Friday prayers and this convention that was held uh, was very significant because it was the first time that the convention was being held at its full scale uh, after the pandemic uh, that we were struck by in 2020. So 2019 was the last convention that was held uh, at uh, a large scale and with complete, um, you know, preparations and where all of the different depart departments were working uh, at their full strength. Uh, but unfortunately, when in 2020 we were struck by COVID, uh, the community was unable to hold um, a convention. Um what happened that year was that His Holiness delivered one speech uh, in which he spoke about the progress of the community 
and um, one one of the addresses that you know though everyone is keen to listen to all of his addresses one of the addresses that his holiness does deliver during these conventions or this convention in particular in in the uk uh, is about the progress of the community so the convention is held from friday it it begins on friday after the friday sermon uh, and the friday prayers and it lasts till sunday evening and uh, during these three days the the convention that's held in the uk his holiness her holiness has a speech the uh, the first speech or the opening session that is chaired by his holiness and then he delivers a speech then on saturday uh, his holiness has a speech in the ladies section um and then in the late afternoon he has another speech uh, which he delivers in the men's side now the second speech that he delivers in the men's section on the saturday he speaks of the progress of the community how the community has uh, you know faced different challenges and has overcome different uh, issues and has progressed how many new converts have you know uh, have come how many people have joined the community how many mosques we have made in the previous year uh, how many hospitals have been uh, established how many schools have been opened up um how much literature has been published uh, and as well as that he speaks of the different accounts of different people uh, from across the globe who have joined the community and their stories of how they came across the community and how they then joined the community and what sort of blessings they are reaping from joining the community so this is a very a keynote address uh, though all of them are keynote addresses uh, but this particular address which he delivers on a saturday uh, speaks of the progress of the community so as i was saying in 2020 his holiness uh, delivered one speech from uh, tilford where he is residing it was a very small um, uh, i would say small setup with very few people of course due to the restrictions that were being uh, that were placed by the government and it was not possible for many people to gather in one place so of course in line with the guidelines of the government uh, his holiness delivered a speech uh, on the progress of the community and that was uh, streamed uh, and broadcasted uh, through our uh, television um, channel which is known as MTA and this was then broadcasted and uh, you know streamed across the globe and everyone you know who was aware of it tuned in and listened to that speech so 2020 was a year which the convention could not be held uh, <coughs> uh, excuse me in any shape or form uh, apart from that speech but uh, then you know as time went on things started to settle down uh, the uh, the pandemic started to you know you know to decrease in its um uh intensity and uh, in 2021 we basically held a convention 
for three days, but there were a lot of restrictions. There was no on-site accommodation. International guests weren't uh, permitted to come. Then uh, on top of that, it was only adults that were allowed, or in fact, uh, children above the age of 12 could attend. Um, And you had to have had the uh, jabs, the vaccine uh, given, um, or you would have had to take uh, the vaccines, at least two doses of it. Um, there, there were masks. You had to wear masks wherever you were. Um, there was social distancing, so all those restrictions were there. Uh, despite that, uh, we had a good turnout, and it was only members of the community from here in the UK who attended that convention. Uh, again, in that convention, you had those three days, and um, you know His Holiness was there, and you know he delivered those speeches. As usual, you know, he had those four speeches as well as the Friday sermon. But um, that uh, convention, again, you know, did not um, take place at its full scale. There were a lot of restrictions. As I mentioned, there was no on-site accommodation. Another thing that, you know, um, a lot of time and effort and energy goes into that, preparing for that, of course, preparing uh, the... um, Preparing the accommodation is not an easy task. Uh, of course, there are um, marquees that are set up, but uh, volunteers have to go and set up the bedding there, lay down the carpets, uh, put the bedding there. Then, as well as that, you, if someone's staying on site, then of course you have to cater for, uh, you know, for toilets. Yeah, breakfast, um, and um, you know all those things. They take a lot of energy, so those things weren't at full scale. But last year in 2022, we again had the convention, and the convention was, uh, you know, was um, held at to some degree to its full scale. Um, the difference was that uh, there was still some restriction on on-site accommodation though people still stayed and they had private tents um but it was uh, you know very limited um then um uh, there were still some restrictions masks of course were imperative they had to be worn uh, international guests weren't allowed to come to the UK for the convention uh and um it still seemed as if there was some parts missing to the convention. Uh, of course, the numbers, uh, due to the fact that international guests could not come, were not uh, similar to 2019. Um, and uh, again, His Holiness was there for three days and you know he delivered his speeches. But this year, uh, all restrictions had uh, been lifted apart from wearing a mask uh, during the uh, the sessions where everyone was sitting in the main hall or the main marquee in which the in which his holiness was delivering his speeches <clears throat> there you had to wear your masks but apart from that all other restrictions had been lifted there was uh, no restriction on uh, the age of those who were attending. There was no restriction on the guests that were arriving from across the globe. Uh, there was no restrictions uh, uh, on accommodation. It was open accommodation for anyone who would wish 
to have stayed there. Uh, the right measures had been taken. And uh, of course, His Holiness, in his inaugural speech before the convention had started, he had mentioned that um, though it's been some years now since the convention has been held at at its full, full scale, and um, there is a chance that the uh, you know the abilities of the volunteers might have become rusty but he also reassured them that he was he was certain that uh, the management would uh, perform uh, better than before and due to the experience they've had in the past they will be able to manage it uh, without any issues so as I mentioned, the turnout was great this year. There was 41,000 people who attended the convention. Um, and, you know, the weather wasn't on our side. Uh, it had been raining. And uh, since it's in the... Um, it's outside of London. It's 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 basically a massive field in which the city, I would say, this tent city is erupted. Um, uh, is erected on there um, it rained and the field was uh, you know there was a lot of mud a lot of cars were being stuck the uh, tracks had been laid down but still there was uh, a lot of uh, hindrance uh, in walking uh, getting from one place to the other uh, there were some issues in the car park because cars were being stuck due to the mud but despite this you know 41,000 people turned up for this convention and it just goes to show that people were dedicated where they were looking forward to this convention uh, they had been uh, you know the, the thirst of coming to a convention like that had been uh, quenched by 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 this convention so it, it was a great sight. Um, I personally was under the Mahzineta Savi department, which is the image library of the Ahmed community. And uh, there was an exhibition held by Mahzin or this image library in which I was, uh, you know, um, giving my services, though it was temporary. Um, I was, uh, you know, given the task to basically take round guests who would come to the exhibition uh, since the exhibition um, displayed pictures of the community and displayed the historic uh, history of the community through pictures uh, it was my responsibility to take guests around and show them around and uh, give them introduction to the community and its history so this is what I done for three days um, and it was quite a unique experience. It was quite, um, you know, overwhelming in the sense that, you know, it, we were given the opportunity to have this convention after three long years. Um, so if you haven't read about the annual convention of the Ahmed Muslim community here in the UK, I would definitely recommend that you take a look at it. Uh, if you get a chance uh, in the future to ever, you know, attend the convention, then I would heavily advise that you should uh, attend and see for yourselves what uh, what goes on and what sort of um, atmosphere there is. Uh, and the thing is that um, 
all the guests who came and visited and uh, took part in this convention uh, they were left um, absolutely mesmerized they were you know over the moon they had great food they enjoyed the company of one another they uh, particularly enjoyed his holiness's speeches and of course there were other speeches as well that were delivered which the guests thoroughly enjoyed so it's important again that you know you have some insight to what is going on uh, during these conventions and i would invite anyone to come and take a look uh, in the future and i am certain that you will enjoy your stay there you'll enjoy your visit um you'll have you know great food great hospitality you'll be taken around uh, you'll be shown around the place and you'll certainly have a good time so this is what's uh, happened uh, and this was held two weeks ago um so this is what's been going on in the community um by the end of this month his uh, holiness will be traveling to Germany for their convention um, which they are holding and this again is a very historic convention for the German chapter of the community uh, because it's been a hundred years since the community has been established in Germany so just a quick uh, historical background uh, the community itself was uh, initiated by Mirza Ghulam Ahmed uh, of Qadian peace be upon him uh, who claimed to be the promised Messiah and, and Mahdi. Um, so he initiated the community in 1889 in Qadian. And over the years, the community has been growing uh, and uh, it's spread over 200 uh, countries. So <clears throat> in 1923, of course, after the demise of uh, the holy founder of uh, this community or the Ahmadism community um, the message uh, reached Germany and the community was established so this is 1923 um, and of course this community being a missionary community the task is of course to spread the message true message of Islam the message that uh, his uh, the holy founder of Islam holy prophet peace be upon him brought to spread that uh, then not only spread that message but also to enlighten the world with the fact that you know the Messiah who we believe to have already have come to spread his message as well uh, because he preached the true teachings of Islam and in essence that's what's happening and this is the work that we're doing so in 1923 when the missionary came to Germany he established the community and since then the community has been um, you know ever present in Germany so this year uh, they are commemorating the hundred years of uh, the community uh, in Germany hence um, the convention this year is going to be a very historic convention um, they according uh, different um, uh, you know, according to different people, what I've heard is that they're expecting more than 70,000 people. And, um, you know, you never know the the numbers, you know, that they have, um, the, you know, a, put a target down for uh, may well be achieved because, of course, this convention is going to be happening or taking place during holidays. 
and there's a lot of people who are going from the UK. There's a, a big number of the community residing in Europe. So there's a lot of people who will be traveling to Germany for that convention. And the biggest thing is that His Holiness is um, you know, expected to uh, go there um, uh, and uh, be part of that convention. So people knowing that His Holiness is going, people would like to go to the convention and be part of it. So a lot of people are going. Uh, and even those guests who had come from abroad for the convention here in the UK, they have extended their stay and they will also be travelling to the convention there in Germany. Um, so that's what's happening in the community. Uh, that was the latest uh, that I could tell you of the activities of the community. Um, now we'll have a, a small and short break. And then as soon as we come back from the break, we will delve into our first topic, uh, which is air pollution. Uh, part, air pollution particles may be cause of dramatic drop in global insect numbers. And we will discuss this matter. We have one guest and we will speak to our guest thoroughly uh, about <coughs> this topic and the the importance of this topic, why this topic is so important, why do we have to, yeah, you know, understand what's uh, happening due to the uh, air pollution and how that's affecting our, or, uh, you know, our environment, our atmosphere. So uh, we will now go on a short break and I'll be back with you shortly. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Persecuted for your beliefs, jailed for your faith, and exiled from your homeland, but you refuse to turn to bitterness or vengeance. Instead, His Holiness has emerged as a leader of wisdom and compassion, a champion of nonviolence among nations. No society can truly succeed unless it guarantees the rights of all of its peoples, including religious minorities. Whether they're Ahmadiyya, Muslims in Pakistan, or Baha'i in Iran, or Coptic Christians in Egypt. I would like very much to confirm my support for the work that His Holiness and the Ahmadi Muslim community are doing, particularly in London. Even I didn't know when I was elected, then my name even will be proposed. The election is the same as the Pope is elected, but without smoke.
regular uh, visitor and speaker to parliaments and assemblies around the world, whether it's the US Congress or the, or the European Parliament. Let it be clear that I am not speaking in support or favor of any particular individual country. What I wish to say is that all forms of cruelty, wherever they exist, must be eradicated and stopped, regardless of whether they are perpetrated by the people of Palestine, the people of Israel, or the people of any other country. In this we are allied with His Holiness, a courageous champion of religious freedom and of peace. I'm very glad that the movement like yours will do something to correct this image. Islam means peace. I should thank Your Holiness for your highly enlightened sermon, not only uh, for the Ahmadis, but I would say for all mankind. Love for all and hatred for none. And this message not only for Muslims, but for everybody. You are a man, though of humble beginnings, your leadership has made you a figure of global prominence. And you have become a guide for millions of Muslims worldwide. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. If you've just um, tuned into the Voice of Islam, we are currently going through the breakfast show and you are listening to Mubashir Zafri. Uh, I am joined by uh, Imam Farid Ahmed today here in the studio who will be. Um, Speaking with me about the different topics, he'll be helping me in the discussion uh, and the dialogue that we have today. Um, as I mentioned, our first topic is uh, regarding the air pollution particles, which uh, may be causing dramatic drop in global insect numbers. So this story, this um, basic story which we have received, um, it speaks of researchers' report uh, that in, in insects' ability uh, to find food and mate is reduced uh, when their antennae are contaminated by par uh, particles and matter from the industry, from transport, uh, from bushfires, uh, and other sources of air pollution. So, air pollution is causing, uh, you know, a heavy impact on. Um, 
on the uh, insects. Um, and the summary, basically, of the and the gist of the story is basically that the researchers from University of uh, Melbourne, Beijing Forestry University, and the University of California Davis raise awareness of humans' actions that can create a significant risk to insects. Uh, it is already known that particulate matter uh, causes harm to the health of insects, but now it has been found that the very way of life may also be impacted. The particulates decrease insects' ability to smell odors, including that of food and uh, mating. Uh, this could potentially lead to a long-term reduction in insect populations, uh, which has detrimental effects on their wider food chain. So... Anyone who is aware of uh, what a food chain is, of course, you know, there's different ranks in the hierarchy of the food chain. And if one uh, part of that food chain is affected, then the whole food chain uh, is affected by that. So if there aren't, if there isn't enough production of one particular uh, point in the in the food chain, uh, that has an impact on, you know, the whole of the food chain. For example, if, you know, animals that uh, feed on vegetation, <coughs> excuse me, if the vegetation, let's say, you know, there's a detrimental effect on the vegetation and it's not grown, what impact it has on the animals that feed off that vegetation is that they start decreasing number because, of course, now there isn't enough food for them. So if there isn't enough food for them, they start dying out. Now, if those animals start dying out, you know, let's say cattle, uh, and that then directly has an impact on um, people or, or other animals who eat, um, uh, you know, these uh, animals, the predators, for example, um, it has an impact on them because now there's a, sh there's a shortage uh, in, in cattle, uh, there isn't enough food to go around. And then you see a shortage in, uh, you know, meat. Uh, and there isn't enough meat to go around. Uh, prices go up. Uh, and this is the effect that it has. So, you know, a small insect, you know, can have, you know, if there's a, if there's um, some effect on that, if it's being impacted and there's reduction in, in their production, uh, then that has an inf uh, impact on the whole food chain. So it's a very, very uh, important thing that we should uh, look into. And then insects are also needed for the vital role, uh, role that they play by pollinating plants, uh, breaking down decaying material and recycling nutrients. And as we all know, um, you know, uh, one of the natural ways of um, continuing the process of plantation uh, is of course insects carrying pollen uh, from one place to the other and this is how plants are pollinated and then they grow so they play an important role uh, in in the food chain and uh, not just in the food chain but generally for our environment so this is uh, what uh, uh, you know, it, it speaks of, and this is the um, uh, this is the research that they have shown that you know the particles that are emitted 
through different um you know pollutions air pollutions have a massive impact on the um uh on, on, on the insect so um imam farid uh, what experiments uh, were conducted uh, in relation to this study uh, yeah, so the experiments conducted include viewing the antenna of the house flies under a scanning electron microscope and seeing that air pollution increases more particulate material collects on their antenna the material was found to be made up of solid particles or liquid droplets suspended in the air and could include organic substance from coal oil petrol wood wood fires and toxic heavy metals in beijing in beijing the house flies were exposed to 12 hours of varying levels of air pollution and placed in y-shaped tube maze now the uncontaminated flies mostly chose the side of the maze leading to the smell of food or sex it was confirmed by natural tests that the contaminated antenna significantly reduced the strength of order elated electron signals sent to the fly's brain their ability to, to detect orders is compromised now what are the findings of the test well as far as the findings are concerned they say that there is a negative correlation between the air pollution and the insects ability to smell potential mates food good places to lay eggs air pollution gathers on insects antenna and significantly reduces their order detecting abilities making it harder for them to find food and mates antenna of the diverse insects like bees moths and wasps are also contaminated by the smoke particles even from a considerable distance from bushfire fronts the olfactory receptors on the insect antenna detect the odor molecules coming from the potential mate food source or even a good place to lay eggs anything that clogs these receptors reduce air efficiency in detecting their orders thus causing pollution decline population decline sorry this is the this is because a physical barrier is made that prevents contact between the airborne order molecule and molecules and the small receptors about 40% of the earth's land mass is exposed to particulate air pollution concentrations above who's world health organization's recommended annual average state this is stated by the melbourne's professor elger he continues stating that surprisingly i quote that surprisingly this includes many remote and comparatively pristine habits habitats and areas of ecological significance because the particulate material can be carried thousands of kilometers by air currents absolutely so we see that uh, there is a massive influence that uh, takes place when there is um, air pollution and generally when we speak about climate change we speak of you know how the sea levels are rising how the ice caps are melting uh what impact is having on the quality of the air um you know the carbon footprint we speak about those things but you know sometimes we forget about the small things that also matter which are equally important uh which are you know 
something that we need to consider as well. Uh, now we have a guest uh, with us uh, who, you know, we've got Paul Hetherington uh, from Bug Life uh, who is uh, joining us. Uh, Assalamu alaikum and peace be upon you, uh, Paul. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today, uh, this early morning. It's an absolute pleasure to have you uh, with us today. Salam, good morning. Uh, Walaikum salam. Um, so, uh, just before we get into this, uh, Bug Life is the only organization in Europe uh, devoted to the conservation of all inter- in- in- invertebrates. Uh, they are actively working to save, uh, you know, the smallest and the rarest of our animals residing and, you know, inhabit, you know, uh, habitating in this world. Everything from bees to beetles, worms to woodlice and jumping spiders to jellyfish. And Paul Hetherington has been one of the directors of Bug Life for the past 11 years. So, you know, very warm welcome to our show um, uh, at uh, Voice of Islam. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, so, Paul, can you just tell us a bit about yourself and uh, the work that you do? What sort of things does that, um, you know, um, does it include? What What do you do uh, just for the, you know, information uh, or for our viewer, for our, you know, audience? So, so Bug Life does a mixture of activities. On the one hand, we actually do on-the-ground conservation work. And that is things like we're doing a lot of peat bog restoration in the Scottish lowlands. We are creating large areas of wildflower-rich grassland to put connectivity back into the countryside for our pollinators. Um, We're doing uh, sometimes captive breeding and preparing receptor sites for very rare species so that they can have a better chance of survival. But then we also do a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes work. So we will campaign and lobby around issues that are affecting bugs, such as pesticides, light pollution, air pollution, looking to try and get changes made. Because, you know, bugs are very underrated, really. They are, I suppose you could liken them to, if you've got a big business and there's like your your finance team and your admin team, and what are they bringing into the company? But if you lost them, you'd suddenly notice they were gone. And that's kind of where bugs are. Without them, life as we know it just wouldn't exist. Right, absolutely. Um, uh, You know, you're absolutely right about that. You know, we were mentioning how, you know, sometimes those small things we don't really pay attention towards. Uh, and as you rightly said, the, those bugs that, you know, though they're very small, they have such a significant uh, impact on how the world runs. And of course, that's something we, you know, we need to take care of as well. Um, so, you know, we were mentioning, uh, you know, this um, this study that was taking place regarding air pollution, how it impacts um you know, insect numbers. So, of course, there must be other findings as well, other research that's been done. Can you just explain how bug life uh, approaches, uh, you know, the study of inter- in invertebrates and their conservation efforts, you know, because that's, uh, you know, something that uh, you guys look into? So, we've actually produced a full strategy and to do that, we've looked at all the different impacts that there are and try to cover them off in it. So we covered off things like air pollution and pesticides, 
And what we tend to do is do synthesis reports. So we're, we're not an academic institution, but what we will do is we'll look and find all of the research that's happened on an area and put a synthesis report together and try and put it into terms that people can understand. But I mean, you know, we've been aware, really, of the effect air pollution has on invertebrates since well, the early Victorian times, back in the early 1800s. Right. Um, it was first noted that the peppered moth was changing colour during the Industrial Revolution. The peppered moth was sort of white with little speckled spots on it. And during the Industrial Revolution, it basically became black um, because of all the soot around. So it was adapting. And you know, the peppered moth is now actually becoming lighter again. So we've known that you know what we're putting into the atmosphere has an impact for a couple of hundred years now and and still we continue to pollute the atmosphere we've also done a lot of studies on road verges and how useful wildflowers are on road verges and um, right. because of course you've got all of the exhaust fumes that, that go onto road verges and that study has shown that if your road verge is one meter or less in thickness it has no benefit whatsoever because the masking smell of your fumes from your cars means that pollinators cannot detect flowers. Right. That's quite interesting. You know, again, that just goes to show how important it is to not just only uh, think about global warming, but also think how we could be playing a part to it. Um, as I mentioned, there was a recent study which suggests that uh, potential connection between air pollution particles uh, and a decline in global insect numbers. Um, what are your initial thoughts about this finding of this research? It's certainly something that we, we believe is the case, um, but it is one of just a whole plethora of issues that are affecting insects. Uh, I mean, you've got the loss of habitat, you've got our use of chemicals, um, which is, you know, herbicides and insecticides, etc. You've got uh, climate change, uh, which is impacting. The obvious thing to talk about with climate change is bumblebees. Um, bumblebees like a temperate climate. You go down to something like the Mediterranean, and there are two species of bumblebees. Um, as things get hotter, and uh, you know, last summer was a case to point in the UK, it got really, really hot. Bumblebees were dying in great numbers because they just cannot cope with that level of heat. And also habits were changing. They were coming out very early in the day and very late in the day and not being visible at all during the middle of the day. Um, and then, of course, there's non-native invasive species that are coming in, um, you know, as we cover all the invertebrates, the most obvious one is things like flatworms that have come in pot plants that have been imported. Um, and, of course, it's known that flatworms reduce the number of earthworms in an area by at least 20% once they get here. And we've got Australian and New Zealand flatworms that have been found in places like Dartmoor. Oh, wow. And if you could explain what kind of research or studies has bug life been involved in? So uh, we have done a, um, a number of synthesis studies. Uh, we've done one on neonicotinoid insecticides. We've done another one on pollution in rivers and another one that we've done around um, sort of uh, medicinal uh, byproducts and how they, you know, so you know, that perhaps don't get cleared out in sewage stations and stay in the water. Um, we are looking into uh, the impact of um, 
air pollution and you know the main report we've done is we've been looking at road verges uh, and we have found that air pollution around roads has led to between a 60 and 70 percent reduction in the number of bees flies moths and butterflies in the area and also an 80 to 90 percent reduction in the number of flowers being visited and that's why sadly planting flowers alongside a road unless you've got a really deep sward of them has no positive impact whatsoever and also uh, can you provide us some examples of the insect species who have been aver- adversely affected by this pollution yeah so it, it is basically virtually all insects but i mean particularly the ones that need to sort of fence out things like nectar so your, your bees your hoverflies, your butterflies and moths, they're the ones that are particularly affected by um, air pollution because it's just destroying their senses. They cannot find food to forage uh, when you've got this level of pollution up there. Uh, and it's having an effect on all invertebrates, but these are probably the most marked issues. Right, I just, want, I just wanted to get back to uh, one, of the, uh, one of the points that you made, that you know we're discovering and finding these Australian and you know from flat flat worms from New Zealand, you know, finding them here in the UK. Uh, what could be the reason for that? Uh, is that something which is quite common, or is this something a surprise even to you? Unfortunately, it is something that is now very common, and a lot of these species are now well established within the UK. And it's as a result of importing plants from overseas. Um, if you go somewhere like New Zealand, they've got very strict rules and you can't bring soil in. We yeah. allow plants with soil to come in here. The UK has over a billion pound deficit in plants in pots. And here we're not talking about, you know, cacti or something not having your window. We're talking about bedding plants, cabbage plants, all of these things that you might go and buy in a, a garden centre. You know, right. The majority of them have been imported only from mainland Europe, but that's bringing in pests and diseases from mainland Europe where they've already got established. Um, so we're not helping ourselves on that. Right. So, I mean, as a result of that, what kind of impact are we facing? You've, you've spoken about pesticides and all these different diseases. Has that has uh, you know has that uh, had an effect on the you know the insects that are you know native to to the uk has that had any impact on on their numbers yeah i mean the the impact is 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 really worrying Uh, again unfortunately this is an area where there's not a lot of data but uh, we run a citizen science project called bugs matter where we measure density of splat it's like the old windscreen splatter but we look at it on the plates because it's a, a, a more scientific surface to look at and we've discovered that we're looking at over a 60 percent drop in the abundance of flying insects in the last 20 years um, and that's phenomenal so that's since the year 2000 you're looking at that level of drop and bear in mind it's believed that the largest drops were happening in the 60s and 70s when we were you know pumping things like ddt around um you know things are getting to a very very critical stage we have a number of individual species that are on the verge of extinction uh, it's very very worrying times uh, and lastly um you know if for the general you know a normal person how can they get involved you know in uh, 
the conservation of you know in invertebrates how can they get so themselves involved with things such as bug life so there's a number of ways people get involved we are a membership organization so people would be very welcome to join as members of bug life but we can all also do things in our own space and even if you live in a flat if you could put up a window box and plant something that's good for pollinators you would be creating the equivalent of a motorway service station where they can pop in and refuel which will enable them to get that a little bit further to some more good habitat and good plants if you are doing that i would say plant herbs and let them flower because they're really good for pollinators but they're also good for you you can reach out and pick a few and put them in your food uh, absolutely uh, wonderful advice thank you very much uh, paul for joining us early this morning uh, we really appreciate uh, your time and everything that you've told us has been very beneficial and hopefully our listeners will also benefit from that. Uh, thanks again for joining us and I hope you have a splendid rest of the day. And you. Thank you very much. So that was Paul uh, Hetherington from Bug Life who was telling us about the consequences of air pollution, how this is having an impact on our bugs uh, here in the UK and how that has an impact uh, uh, altogether on uh, our quality of life, how that has an impact on the rest of the food chain. And, you know, some of the things that he mentioned are quite worrying, how, you know, there has been a 60% drop in the species of uh, bugs that we have here in the UK that are native to the UK. And, of course, there are different factors that are causing that. <clears throat> but it's just worrying how, in the last 20 years, it has had such a big impact where we're seeing, seeing a decline of 60%. Um, we aren't done yet with this topic. Um, we will carry on speaking about the Islamic perspective on, on this particular topic. Uh, but before we do that, we will be shortly heading towards the 8am news. And hopefully after the 8am news, we will be back speaking this about this topic. Allah, Akbar, Allah, Akbar. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Peace be upon you all. If you've just tuned into the Voice of Islam radio station, we are currently uh, in the middle of the breakfast show. Uh, you are listening to Mubashir Zafri, and with me, joining me today here in the studio, we have um, Imam Farid Ahmed, who is, you know, taking part in the conversation with me. So, before going on the break, we were speaking about the importance of uh, taking care of our bugs and how air pollution is having an impact on these bugs and how this is having a devastating effect on the rest of the world uh, it's something that we don't pay much attention towards uh, because of course you know when we speak about bugs it just sounds so insignificant and we don't pay much attention 
but in hindsight when you look at stuff and when you look at the studies and especially speaking to after speaking to Paul uh, who was a guest uh, you know just a short uh, time ago who was speaking to us about uh, this particular subject and was explaining how air pollution is having a detrimental effect on the po- uh, population of these uh, bugs and how that is having an impact on our environment and you know just listening to that really uh, hits home with you know how important it is to take care of our environment and of course you know there are so many things that uh, you know contribute to the decline uh, in uh, the quality of our environment uh, whether that is uh, factories uh, emitting uh, smoke and you know smog whether that is car uh, pollution whether that's air pollution being caused by uh, numerous things uh, it's something that of course we as the human race are also responsible for to some degree um, and uh, you know being Muslim, uh, we have been taught that it's our responsibility to take care of even the small things. Uh, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, when speaking about uh, you know animals, he always taught that you should be very very careful with animals. You should treat them with uh, you know kindness. You should treat them with you know. In the most uh, respectful manner you shouldn't cause any harm to them um, and this is something that uh, Islam teaches us that even if you think that the you know the animals insignificant you should be happy you know there's a narration of his holiness where his uh, of the holy fund of Islam where he says that uh, one person you know who was um, uh, giving water to a dog uh, was uh, you know promised paradise even though their actions weren't in accordance to the teachings of uh, God Almighty yet they were you know they were quite merciful towards the animal towards the dog and they gave them water and for that reason they were given paradise so it just goes to show how important it is to look after animals and of course these bugs you know who sometimes we find a nuisance you know if they enter our houses or sometimes we look at them with a lot of insignificance yet they have such an important role in in the grand scheme of things and um you know if we are a little bit careful if we are more uh you know in tune with what the environment wants then uh, you know there's something we can do and islam you know being a religion for all ages for all types of people um it also caters for how we should take care of our environment you know the holy prophet peace be upon him uh, we see that he stated uh, that if you're walking on a path and you see something dangerous on the path, whether that's litter, whether that's a sharp thing, whether it could be anything, you know, that can cause harm. Uh, the words harm have been used. Um, remove it, put it away. So this goes to show that Islam isn't just a religion about uh, theology. Isn't it? Isn't all about uh, you know, understanding the intricacies of religion, of scripture, 
but it also tells us and preaches to us the importance of taking care of the environment, how you can preserve uh, the world, how you can make a better place, you know, environmentally, uh, you know, how you can make the atmosphere better, how you can make, you know, uh, a, the world to be a better place to live in. Um, the Holy Quran, peace be, uh, the Holy Quran speaks of um, and instructs us that do not cause uh, facade, that do not cause disorder in the world. And of course, disorder isn't just about uh, enmity and animosity between two communities or two nations or two people. It's also to do with the disorder that can uh, emerge from human action and how it can have an effect on the world. So taking care of the environment falls under that category of causing, you know, not causing disorder. And if, if a true Muslim who acts in line uh, with the teachings of Islam and teachings of uh, uh, the Quran, he or she will be, you know, very aware of the fact that causing disorder also means causing mayhem when it comes to the environment, when it comes to the uh, climate, when, they come, when it comes to taking care of our our world, of Earth. And, you know, I've mentioned this before as well. Uh, one of the things that um, even the Bible speaks of is that we have been placed as stewards of this Earth. Uh, we have been given, you know, this is a philosophical, uh, not an argument, but a discussion that takes place a theological uh, discussion uh, with regards to the stewardship of uh, earth um, how Adam or mankind uh, was given this world uh, as a, a you know or was given dominion over this world but it wasn't just you know so that they can live there they were also given the responsibility of taking care of the of this uh, world you know, and there's this whole discussion in philosophy and religious studies which speaks of how God gave mankind this world and it's temporary. We we aren't going to be here forever. And it's like, uh, you know, uh, giving something uh, to someone to take care of. You know, if you have something, uh, something important, something valuable, uh, you give it to a person to take care of it, and then you expect it to be given to you, given back to you in, in you know, in in pristine uh, or prestige uh, condition. In the same way, God Almighty has given the world to the humans uh, and has given us the responsibility to take care of it, and we have to return the world back to God in uh, you know in a better state than it was before. So. This is, uh, you know, the importance of stewardship. This this whole narrative of how Adam and mankind is meant to take care of the world. Nevertheless, um, you know, it's imperative to take care of uh, our environment. Um, so, Imam Farid, what, what else does Islam teach us about uh, the importance of taking care of our environment? So, as far as this topic is concerned... Uh, there's a hadith, a saying of Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that At-Tahuru Shatrul Iman, which translates to the cleanliness is part of one's faith. Right. And it's taken from uh, the book Sahih Muslim if you want to go and check. Anyways, so this hadith beautifully illustrates the fact that the fundamental aspect 
one of the fundamental aspects of Islam is cleanliness. And not just the cleanliness of ourselves, but the cleanliness of the environment as well. So we need right. to take care of that. Now, the measure should be taken in order to preserve the environment as it benefits us, as well as the animals, and obviously including insects as well, as we've just heard. So dumping waste on streets and other public places is not good. It only creates pollution and creates further problem. And there's another problem which is devastating the world, which is deforestation. Now, there's another factor which contributes to pollution as well, in in a way, okay? Because right. if you remove the trees, you're increasing pollution. Now, regarding that, there's another hadith taken from Sahih Bukhari, and let's read our translation that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that there is none amongst the Muslims who plants a tree or sows a seed, and then a bird or a person or an animal eats from it, but it re- is regarded as charitable gift for him. So if you can right. see that uh, this hadith says that if you need to plant trees, and our community acts upon this hadith by holding tree planting sessions occasionally, and it helps to preserve the environment. As we know that the trees, they store carbon dioxide, and they clean the air by emitting oxygen so they provide fresh oxygen for us to breathe in as well so they help us a lot so if we cut a tree we need to plant two or three more because it says that when a tree is young it does not produce a lot of oxygen so we need to plant more trees when it grows yes it produces a lot but when it's growing uh, the number of ox- uh, the amount of oxygen it can create is less so right. when we cut a tree a large tree we need to plant more uh, so that we could, you can say, make up for the loss we did. Absolutely. And it's it's beautiful how, you know, 1400 years ago, the holy founder of Islam was instructing his, um, you know, his followers to plant trees. And this is something that we just heard from Paul. He was saying that, you know, even if you're living in a flat, there's nothing stopping you from planting a plant. Uh, and, you know, even if it's growing herbs, it's something that's beneficial. It's like a fueling station for these insects. You know, and how beautifully the Holy Founder of Islam stated that if you plant a tree and as a result, uh, you know, an animal or a bird or an insect or whatever it may be, any sort of, uh, you know, species reaps benefit from that tree, that would be seen as a charity uh, from the person who planted the tree. And this is exactly what, you know, uh, we see today. This is what people are talking about, that, you know, plant trees, grow your home, you know, vegetation at home, grow plants, grow flowers. This will help uh, the insects. It will help our our environment. And, you know, this just goes hand in hand with the teachings of Islam. You know, we when we speak about Islam, we generally think about, you know, it's all about God. It's about following a person who's talking about God, you know, prophets, uh, parables, scripture. But Islam is a universal religion. Uh, it's a common belief uh, within the Islamic world that Islam isn't limited to any particular region or any particular time frame. It's a religion for all ages, for all you know people, and it's it's a religion which is closest to the or in line and in tune with the nature of not just the humans but nature of Allah's creation. So, if that is the case, then surely Islam must cater for uh, issues such as uh, deforestation, issues such as climate change, issues such as decrease in the number of 
uh, invertebrates or bugs that play you know that play a key role uh, in the running of the world so and as we have discussed islam does give us those uh, instructions that don't just keep yourself clean but keep your environment clean if you can't do that then you're not fulfilling the rights of god you're not fulfilling the rights of the creation of god plant trees because this will help the uh, the the environment of course the explicit words haven't been used that you know this will help the environment but uh, you know the message is there why else would you plant trees uh, you know what is the need but you know saying that to the followers that plant trees you know if if someone reaps benefit out of it you it will be charity from your behalf it's just a way to you know initiate something good and of course islam provides that um now i'd like to read out a quote of his holiness Hazrat uh, Mirza Masrur Ahmed, uh, the fifth caliph of the Muslim community, he is the worldwide head of the community. Uh, he stated, uh, "Climate change is a problem everywhere, all across the world, especially in third world countries where the population is increasing disproportionately. Just to accommodate the increased population, nations are developing new residential areas, and because of this, forests are being cut." and this deforestation is a major cause of climate change so you have to be very particular that whenever one tree is cut two trees should be planted in return and this is again in line with what uh, imam farid just mentioned that uh, the holy prophet peace be upon him he instructed his followers to plant trees uh, his holiness continues to state that fuel consumption should also be reduced now people have become so lazy that if they want to go from one place to the other uh, other place and the distance is only 100 yards or 200 yards, instead of walking to the place, they use their motorbikes or cars. In this way, pollution is increasing. There are, there are so many other factors which are also causing pollution and climate change. So we have to be very careful, although we cannot say that because of the fear of climate change, we should not have children. So, you know, the whole... Um, uh, the whole focus is on preserving this world to leave a better world for our generations. And this is what Islam teaches, right? Oh, yeah, so exactly. If, if we cannot be selfish as far as Islam is concerned, we need to take care about uh, what people will uh, get out of, you can say, the environment after us. Not just for us, but after us as well. So preserving the environment is very important. Now, coming back to the point where... Uh, the CO2 was concerned, the carbon dioxide. So I found another thing which says that in one year, a mature tree will absorb more than 48 pounds of carbon dioxide from the environment and release oxygen in exchange. So you could see that just one uh, tree can absorb 48 pounds of carbon dioxide uh, annually. And this is a huge number. Plus, we know that carbon dioxide is one of the major contributors to global warming. And we can see the rise in temperatures in places of Europe as well, such as Spain and others, and drastic rise in temperatures, so caused by global warming. Another, you can say, way we are damaging the environment is by CO2, and if we reduce the amount of uh, cars on the road, or we, if we want to go for a short journey, we do not take cars, it will help contribute towards the, you can say, preserving the environment in a way as well. 
I know, you know, it's about uh, joining the dots. Um, as, you know, from the quote of His Holiness, he speaks about how people have become lazy. And Islam, again, Islam doesn't promote laziness. It states that stay fit, be physically active, you know. And this just goes to show that if you're active, then, you know, if you have to walk 100 yards or 200 yards, you'll do that rather than taking, you know, a short trip on the car just down the road to grab some milk from the local Tesco's or local Asda's or local superstore. Uh, rather than doing that, you would, you know, walk it or jog it or bike it. So the the instruction of keeping fit will also be fulfilled. So laziness is also one thing that contributes to, in the grand scheme of things, contributes to uh, global cha- global uh, warming and climate change. Nevertheless, it's our responsibility and our duty that we take care of our world. Uh, we don't want this world to be a devastating place for our children and the children of our children. Uh, as Imam Farid mentioned, we cannot be selfish. We have to consider the future. We have to be actively conscious about what we're doing today and what that will have uh, what effect that will have for the tomorrow that we're leaving for our children so this was uh, our first topic now we're going to take a short break and as we come back from our break we will get into our second uh, segment which speaks about Parkinson's disease cell therapies and how there have been some improvements with regards to that so stay with us um, and if there's something that you want to or wish to speak to us about concerning these topics you can always uh, call us live on our uh, in our studio the number is 0208-687-7878 and as always you can tweet us uh, on twitter at voice of islam uk uh, now we'll take a short break and uh, we will be with you shortly You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day الشافي الشافي the healer is a divine attribute of God Almighty. Man must always remember that God is the source of all healing. And when prayer becomes a source of such miraculous healing through the will of God, a believer makes great progress in faith, in the oneness of God and His dominion 
over creation. And he is reminded of his purpose in life, which is to continue to progress and advance in spirituality. In certain conditions, people afflicted with certain illnesses seek adequate medical care at advanced facilities, yet they may or may not recover. Similarly, in underdeveloped countries, it has been observed that many afflicted with illnesses do not have the facilities or the resources to seek medical help. Yet they recover, as though miraculously through the power of prayers. This proves that it is indeed God, the healer, who has the power to grant healing and health. And a believer has firm faith on this attribute of Allah. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to a physician, You are only a soother to your patient. Its physician is he who has created him. People afflicted with illnesses should never think that visiting a certain doctor or a certain hospital is what will become the cause of their cure. But it is only God's grace and mercy that will provide them with relief to complete health. The doctor only plays the role of a medium or providing treatment, which can only be beneficial if God so wills. And that is the reason why prayers are required at every step of the way. God has provided a cure for every illness, and many herbs and insects contain cures, even snake venom. One such example is that of the honeybee. And to describe the medical properties of honey, the Holy Quran has used the term Therein is a cure for men. If we dwell upon the Qur'an, it was through revelation that an ordinary bee was instructed the way and the process to make honey, a cure for physical ailments. And in fact, all animals are guided in a similar way. In reality, Revelation is essential for every activity. Therefore, how can man reject the value of this divine scheme? The promised Messiah on whom be peace said that a worldly man believes that his own efforts suffice him to achieve success in all his endeavors. But we must remember that without supplication, there is no success. And what we achieve as a result of this supplication is also a type of revelation. 
Just like medicine alone cannot cure, it is important to follow the directions of usage and proper way of administering it. Similarly, the guidance is present, but people do not know how to follow it. The promised Messiah on whom be peace has said that many who have entered the Jamaat were those who indulged in all sorts of bad habits before their pledge of allegiance. Yet, after joining the Jamaat, this has brought about a great change in their habits and keep a great desire to cleanse themselves of all bad habits. These are the clear indications that today, the only way to salvation is through the promised Messiah on whom be peace. Therefore, believers should rejoice that they are the heirs to the promises contained in the Holy Quran, and the results of these promises will be in their favor. أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمدا Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. If you've just tuned into Voice of Islam, you're listening to Mubashir Zafri. And I'm joined by uh, Imam Farid Ahmed. We are currently through the. We've just finished the first part of our breakfast show, first segment. Now we are heading towards our second segment, which is the. Uh, key improvements to Parkinson's disease cell therapies. Um, the gist of the story is that researchers have demonstrated that a transplant surgical procedure called needle trauma triggers a profound immune response uh, and causes the death of most grafted dopamine neurons. Uh, these findings suggest a path for realistic use of cell therapy uh, to, tr- to treat um, neurodegenerative disorders. Uh, but to delve into this uh, topic, we first must understand what Parkinson's disease actually is. So, Imam Farid, if you can just quickly explain to our listeners, what is Parkinson's disease? And it's a condition in which the parts of brain, it's a condition in which part of the brain becomes progressively damaged over many years. It causes lack of control over one's ability to move because of stiffness shakiness, imbalance and coordination. Age of age over 60 are at the risk 
and 5 to 10 percent before the age of 50 basically and once this condition worsens it can lead to dementia for some people and it's called and it is called parkinson's dementia now the people with parkinson's have a lack of dopamine because their cells that make it have stopped functioning the reason of this disease is un is not known but the causes of the Parkinson's disease are as follows. The Parkinson's disease is caused by a loss of n nerve cells in the part of brain called the substantia nig nigra. This leads to reduction in the chemical called, production of chemical called dopamine in the brain. The dopamine plays a vital role in regulating the movement of the body. The regulation, regulation in dopamine is responsible for many of the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Exactly what causes the loss of nerve cells is unclear. Most experts think that a combination of genetic and environmental factors is responsible for this. Now, the other question is, who does Parkinson's affect? Now, anyone can be affected. Studies suggest that more men than women are likely to come across this illness. And it says that it is not contagious, though one in 500 people are affected around, and it says that around one to 700,000 people in the United Kingdom alone uh, are affected by this disease. And the next question is that what are the environments that can be, improvements, sorry, can, the, can be made to counter the Parkinson's? Absolutely. So, as mentioned before, we are speaking about the story that speaks of improvements in the cell therapy. So what exactly is that? Uh, although there's uh, currently no cure for Parkinson's disease, we see that treatment is available to help reduce um, the main symptoms that we've just heard about, uh, you know, imbalance and uh, the, the movement uh, of uh, different limbs. Um, and of course, they are there to help maintain quality of life for as long as possible. Um, uh, these include supportive treatments such as uh, physiotherapy uh, and uh, occupational therapy. Uh, there's meditation, medication. Uh, in some cases, there is also brain surgery. Uh, according to the recent study, though, Cell therapy holds promise uh, as a new treatment for Parkinson's disease. Uh, but in many trials to date, uh, most transplanted dopamine cells have failed to survive, raising a fundamental obstacle. Uh, Kwang Soo Kim, PhD author of Molecular Neurobiology Laboratory at McLean uh, Hospital says, uh, we have been investigating personalized stem cell-based therapies that reprogram a patient's own cells to treat their Parkinson's. We have now made a major breakthrough using immune cells to improve delivery, survival and recovery for neuronal cell therapies. Our findings show the power and flexibility of cell therapy to be modified and enhanced to become a realistic modality to treat conditions like Parkinson's. So Parkinson's, uh, they are making improvements and they are finding new things. Um, to treat the disease uh, but as mentioned before we as Muslims uh, have this key aspect uh, to any disease to any ailment to any sort of uh, weakness or any sort of uh, 
uh, illness. And we firmly believe that there is no power except God. Uh, and He is the one who gives, you know, or heals and gives back uh, life to the lifeless, whether that's disease, whether that is, you know, cancer, whether that's illness, whether whatever it may, it may be. God is the one who is the uh, God is the one who heals. God is the one who takes away the pain and grief of uh, an ailment. Um, there's a reason why uh, I played that uh, audio before we started this conversation regarding Parkinson's. Now, the audio that was played was regarding God being a Shafi, i.e. the healer. And the reason why I played this was because in, in it, it speaks of how in Islam, the concept of God being a Shafi is so important because we are taught that as humans, we are incapable of taking care of ourselves, truly. Um, and we are very, uh, you know, Islam teaches humility and humbleness. In all essence, we cannot do anything without the grace of God. If God isn't there in our picture, then we are completely lost. We we are incapable of anything. Uh, we cannot do and achieve anything without the help and mercy of God. And this is the basic principle of Islam, that uh, you have to be humble and you know show humility, because if it's not God, then there's nothing. So when it comes to illness and disease as well, God teaches us that... That you as humans are weak, are incapable of uh, getting better by yourself. And it is truly God who gives shifa or in other words gives recovery and uh, gives, uh, you know, heals it, uh, any sort of ailment. And this is what Islam teaches. And, and, you know, a core principle is that we believe that uh, without God's grace, uh, no medicine, no treatment can come to fruition if it's not with the permission and the grace of God. And this is what Islam teaches us. We see in the Holy Quran, uh, it speaks of Abraham. Uh, he, he There's a monologue of Abraham and he's speaking about different aspects. And he says that when I fall ill, it is God, it is you who gives me uh, recovery and restores me back to health. I myself cannot do anything. Now there's two things that have been, you know, when you look at the exegesis and the explanation uh, of this verse, uh, the fact of the matter is that we fall ill because of our own shortcomings sometimes. You know, if we don't take proper care of ourselves, there's so many people suffering from diabetes. You know, not all the cases are the same, but there's so many cases which have been caused by the damage that we've done to our bodies. You know, people who, you know, uh, eat sugar or consume sugar uh, uncontrollably or uncontrollably, the, the that causes you know the blood uh, you know sugar levels to reach high peaks and then you know as a result insulin is uh, you know stopped being produced so 
you are diagnosed with diabetes and so on and so forth. And there's so many other uh, illnesses that are caused uh, due to our bad conduct uh, or a bad way of life. So in this verse, you know, Abraham is saying is that when I fall ill, that is to say that, you know, it is our, you know, shortcomings, our weaknesses that cause us to fall ill. But restoration to health, that can only come from God. And hence, the power of prayer is such an important aspect in Islam. There's so much um, emphasis laid down on praying to God uh, for uh, recovery, for health. Because in Islam, we believe that true health can only come from God. Uh, medicine and treatment, that's just, uh, you know, cause and effect. It's, 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 it's the catalyst, I would say, that works. But it is truly God who, uh, you know, causes the medicine to work. And this is what Islam teaches, right, Imam Farid? Oh, yeah, exactly. So I can recall an incident where a guy called Abdul Karim was bitten by a dog and he was uh, and the dog was carrying rabies so sometimes later he started showing signs of this disease now obviously he was taken to a hospital and the doctors they tried to treat him that gave the level best but they were unfortunately unsuccessful now and they said that nothing could be done for Abdul Karim now this was obviously a devastating news for him and his family and it was then that the promised Messiah May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, started praying. And he asked Allah Allah for help. And the help was indeed granted and he started showing signs of recovery. And they say that no disease no sorry, medicine was invented even now that could uh, treat the rabies at that stage. So when he was started to recover, it was indeed a miracle for right. the medical science, that's the thing. So another way we can say that the prayer does help and through the sheer prayer he recovered and then he lived a long life after that absolutely so it just goes to show that the power of prayer is such an important thing and such a core belief of islamic principles that uh, without it uh, we be you know we'll be somewhat ungrateful to god but we'll also be you know facing a lot of difficulty prayer actually gives us hope that you know even if nothing works God Almighty's grace and His powers will come and save us and protect us. And that is the case for some people. You know, Abdul Karim is just one example. Um, and the thing is, with the medical advancements, uh, especially in this day and age, sometimes make us uh, forget that, uh, you know, the cures and remedies which humans have been able to discover uh, are only due to the blessings given to us by God Almighty. You know, if God hadn't blessed us, we, we might not have made those discoveries at all. So, hence, Islam always pays focus on the fact that we should always turn towards God, who who is in power of everything. If it's not Him, then none of these medicines and treatments would work. Um, you know, there's a narration or an incident of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him uh, he has been reported to say to a physician that uh, you're only a soother uh, to your patients it's a physician is he who has created him Ayala. so meaning that 
you just soothe them you know you give them something you give them this medicine you're just soothing their pain but it is in fact God Almighty who you know causes the effect of the medicine and he is a true healer he is a true physician you're just a soother <coughs> so this is how things are it's truly God who gives uh, anyone um, recovery and it's prayers that uh, are needed for that and this is the reason why uh, his holy, uh, the Holy Founder of Islam uh, and the Promised Messiah and the Caliphs have said that the power of prayer is more powerful than the effects of medicine or treatment because not only does prayer give you hope but it also truly works and with regards to that, I would like to give, uh, uh, you know, share an incident of uh, a companion of the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him. There was a companion by the name of uh, Munshi uh, Kapoor Thalvi Saab, Munshi Zafar Ahmed Kapoor Thalvi. And he basically uh, was a companion of the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him. So once his grandson, he fell extremely ill and he was admitted to the hospital. And if I'm not wrong, he was, uh, you know, affected by typhoid. So he was in a very devastating state. And, um, you know, Munshi Zafar Kapoor uh, Talvi, peace be, uh, you know, may Allah be pleased with him, could not bear the state of his grandchild. And, you know, it seemed like the grandson would not be able to survive the night. So, Munshi uh, Zafar Saab Kapoor Talvi, he basically leaves the room in which his grandson was. And he goes to a different place, closes the door, lays down the uh, prayer mat and uh, goes into prostration in front of God Almighty starts praying and praying and praying and he himself states that he prayed so much and he had said to God that he will not lift his head up from the prostration until unless God uh, gave health to his grandchild so he, he remained there, remained there, remained there in the morning um, before of course the Fajr prayer he was woken up by you know this sound or words in the form of uh, you know being revealed by God that you know go you know you've you've you know stop bothering us and go we have a sort of, we have you know given health to your grandchild it was in a very loving way you know God telling him that you know it's fine everything's fine go we've given recovery to your grandchild nevertheless he as soon as he heard this voice he got up. He left and he went to his grandchild. And when he went there, he saw that his grandchild was up and playing and he was absolutely fine as if there was nothing wrong with him. So this is the power of prayer. And this is the reason why, as I mentioned, it is God who is the healer. There's no one else. Sometimes there's things which seem impossible, absolutely impossible. And it's just prayer that um, you know enables the particular person or an individual to be safeguarded from uh, a disease or an illness you know there was a if you're interested in this topic there was a whole uh, 
program that was um, made by the Review of Legends, the God Summit, and it basically gives real life modern day examples of how prayer worked where the medical world had completely given up they were completely ready to give you know give the statement that there's nothing that we can do but at that time uh, God's power manifested and those people who were given days to live uh, you know continue to live on to tell the story so this is how uh, you know Islam teaches that it is God who is truly uh, the one who gives us uh, the health and he is the one who we should turn to and this is what Shafi refers to that uh, he is the curer and that's his divine attribute <coughs> and you know we should never forget that Oh yeah, there's another incident that I can recall of a person whose thumb got chopped off. Now, he was working on a machine that had a sharp edge and an unfortunate incident took place where his thumb unfortunately got chopped off clean off, right? So he lost his thumb. Now, obviously, he was rushed to a hospital. The doctor uh, gave a bit of a, a medicine, painkiller, and dressed up the remaining part of the thumb. And he said that, well, you're going to have to work with four fingers now. And he he said to the doctor that don't worry it's going to grow back and the doctor was devastated he said how this can happen it's impossible and he says that watch uh, what God Almighty can do so he said that he used to pray uh, tahajjud which is a voluntary prayer before the dawn of, uh, before the dawn and he was used to do that every single day he was used to do that and he did that with the belief that the God, God indeed is going to help and he says that uh, slowly but surely after a year it started to grow and they say that now even the you can say the nail is starting to appear as well and in given time it's going to grow up completely so it's uh, it's a proven fact that humans once a uh, limb is chopped off a significant limb is chopped off it cannot grow back so indeed it's a miracle and through sheer grace of god almighty uh, he is still he's recovering but it's another thing where science has no answer to uh, this question that how can this happen but we know that indeed prayer does work absolutely you know it's not just as I mentioned prayer gives you hope and sometimes people go down the pit hole of losing absolute and complete uh, trust and uh, determination and uh, sometimes that's all you need you need some motivation to get better and Islam gives you that it gives you hope in God it says that no matter what you hear from the world we are telling you that we are here i.e. God is here and I will take care of you just turn towards me trust me and you will see that how I am uh, I, I give you, uh, you know, I cure you. Nevertheless, you know, it's been an interesting discussion. We've discussed quite a number of things. And uh, it just goes to show that it's important to keep everything in mind, be grateful for what we have, uh, and try our best to make not our own, our own lives better, but also the lives of others. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. 
Um, we will be now uh, leaving you very shortly. Till next time. Uh, and we will speak later. Thank you very much. Have a splendid day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir Rahmanir In recent years, the Holy Quran has been increasingly portrayed in a negative manner. We would like to present an introduction to the true message and spirit of the Holy Quran. The Quran is the very word of God Almighty, a complete record of the exact words revealed by God through the angel Gabriel to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. The Qur'an is in every detail the same unique and miraculous text that was revealed to Muhammad, peace be upon him. The Qur'an is the principal source of every Muslim's faith and practice. It deals with all subjects that concern us as human beings, including wisdom, doctrine, worship, and law. But its basic theme is the relationship between God and His creation. We will now be speaking with two distinguished Islamic scholars, Mr. Mirza Muhammad Afzal, and Mr. Ataul Wahid, who will be presenting their responses to some of the issues raised by the Western media. In a nutshell, Holy Quran is the Word of God. It is the literal revelation of the Word of God. When we say that, what we mean is that it is not just the inspiration. And then Prophet Muhammad came up with his own words and his own sentences. All these words literally was revealed to him by Angel Gabriel or Gabriel. And he would hear it and then he will dictate it to his companions, write it down. So that is what we, when we say this is the word of God, it means it is a literal word of God. Each letter, each word of God, uh, Quran is, was revealed to Prophet Muhammad. When we say that the Holy Quran is the word of God, I think that confuses a lot of people. Because in Western countries, the, uh, there's mention of the Bible being the inspired word of God. And the Quran is different. Because the Quran is the revealed word of God. It's the message received from Allah to the Holy Prophet that he conveyed to his companions. They either wrote it down or memorized it as it was conveyed over a period of 23 years. So there's a distinct difference there when we talk about the Holy Quran being the Word of God. It is God's Word, the revealed Word of God. More than one billion Muslims around the world recite the verses of the Holy Quran in the five daily prayers prescribed by Islam. Further to this, thousands of Muslims have committed the Holy Qur'an to memory in its entirety. This makes the Holy Qur'an the most recited and the most memorized book in the world. You know, Qur'an is the only book in the world which, is, uh, which has the, the honor to be memorized. And this was one way to preserve it because whenever it was revealed to Prophet Muhammad, he would memorize it. And remember, he was not given like the whole chapter at the same time. He would give like few words at a time, maybe one verse at a time or two verses at a time. And then he will memorize it. Then he has about seven companions around him who will right away memorize it and write them down. And then keeping that tradition Islam, at this time there are thousands and thousands and thousands of Muslims who has memorized complete Quran in, 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 their, in their brain. The Holy Quran does not claim any sort of monopoly over the truth nor does it claim that it is the only book that God has ever revealed to mankind. Rather, the Qur'an claims to be a continuation of the chain of revelation. It's a religion for the rest of time for all of mankind. Not saying the previous religions were wrong, or incorrect, or false. Because the Qur'an says that Moses was a true prophet of God, and Abraham, and Adam, and you know, Joshua, and Noah, and Lot, etc. mentions them in detail. 
and has nothing but praise for them. Nothing but praise for Jesus. And it also says Christianity was true in its time, but their times have passed. And when that process was finished, God sent the Quran and Islam, not as a replacement religion, but simply a step forward in the evolution of religion. So you can say that you know Judaism came for a certain period for certain people in a certain geographical area. Islam has come for all of mankind for the rest of time. You know, Quran does not claim the monopoly over the truth. Quran is a book which is the continuation of the previous uh, uh, or on the pattern of previous scriptures. And uh, all it says that it is complete, it has more to offer, and it says that it contains all those previous teachings which were revealed to different prophets. So in, the, in that respect, it is a beautiful bouquet which contains flowers from different faiths and the flavor of different faiths in the Holy Quran. So that's why when we, we speak of the Holy Quran, we say it's a complete book. And that's what we mean. It, it carries the teaching of all of the scriptures, sometime in its spirit, sometime in its letter, and give the credit to those uh, previous scriptures as well. The Quran is a book of science. It contains marvelous scientific facts. The Quran is also full of prophecies foretelling technological and scientific advances, many of which have already been fulfilled. Quran being the word of God and science being the act, they both have to go hand in hand. Because if God, what God speaks is proven by science, then that means that the Quran offers you more than just do's and don'ts. So when Quran talks of science, it really carries you to the next level of your life. And this is how Quran proves it to you that this is the word of God. Quran speaks of, uh, you know, this new technology. And in, in, in this age, we have a technology of fingerprinting, you have a technology to do DNA, you have a, so many other, and Quran speaks of it. Quran says there will be a time when people's skin will speak. And now the, your skin speaks. Your fingerprinting is what, you know, speak, and that's what Quran speaks of. Quran says there will be a time when the, all these beasts and animals will be brought together at one place. Look at your zoos. Quran says there will be a time when there will be more printing done. Press. And in those days, there was no press. Despite the portrayal of the Quran by the Western media, the Quran in no place advocates terrorism. We need to tell people what Quran is all about. We need to tell people what the Holy Prophet's life is like. Because Quran was lived by the Holy Prophet himself. If Quran teaches terrorism, there must be incident in his life which will prove that this is what really Quran is all about. In a nutshell, I can say, all the verses in the Holy Quran where you find a retaliation, where you find to ambush the enemy, where you find to kill the criminals. It is all under a specific circumstances. And that is if there is a war which is imposed on you and you have to defend yourself, then these are the rules and regulations. You know, if, if an enemy attacks you, you're not going to sit back and let him just kill you. You need to defend yourself. In the course of defense, how far should you go? This is what Quran speaks of. And Prophet Muhammad living in Mecca for 10 years, he never retaliated. But when he migrated to Medina, when the war was imposed on him, that's where Quran gave him the permission, now you can go defend yourself. Even then he said, don't kill a clergyman, don't destroy a, a place of worship, don't kill women, don't kill children, don't cut trees, don't attack at night. All these beautiful things Islam said.
In summary, the Holy Quran is the living and direct word of God, free of any interpolation or corruption. It provides mankind with guiding principles and laws pertaining to every area and aspect of human interaction and existence. It is unfortunate that this majestic book, which presents the perfect path to attaining peace and harmony in the world, has been misunderstood by so many to be the source of so much discord. In reality, it is only by following the true spirit and letter of the Quran that mankind can ever hope to attain peace. For this to occur, however, mankind must accept the promised reformer and messiah as foretold by the holy prophet, peace be upon him. Hadrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, on whom be peace, was that promised reformer, and he was commissioned by God Almighty to present the true interpretation of the Holy Quran. For more information on the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam, please visit www.alislam.org.